Amen. In the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to Luke chapter 9, if you will turn your hearts with me there, your eyes perhaps to the screen. Again, a double welcome to all of those first-time visitors with us, both on land and online. If you are uh, new to the Naperville area, we invite you to continue to worship with us here at RCC. We don't take your presence lightly. We know you could have been in one of many churches in the great Naperville area, but because you are with us, we're so excited to have you. I've been preaching exegetically now a little over a year through the book of Luke, so we're walking through this book chapter by chapter, comma by comma, and line by line, so you get to hear what God is saying to us in this great work. Today's title of our session, our sermon this morning, is A Father's Cry for Help. A father's cry for help. In Luke chapter 9, verse 37 and through 42, I will read there. Now it happened on the next day that when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, Jesus, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out. But RCC, they could not do it. Then Jesus answered and said to those disciples, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son to me. And as he was coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the child and gave him back to his father. And all God's people said, amen. amen. A father's cry for help or a subtitle. Jesus, can you help my baby? In today's text, family, we see a father who's in distress over the position of his son. You see, his baby boy has fallen victim to possession by an evil spirit. The evil one in this text has claimed this father's son as his property. And he's wreaking havoc in the father's home. This father, he doesn't have, like many of us, a normal family. And the reason why is because his son is in this devastating situation. This daddy, he doesn't have the opportunity 
to do things that other fathers do with their son. The reason why is because his son doesn't act right. This father doesn't have the chance to see his son mature as a strong young man because his mind is all messed up. And it's all because an enemy has invaded their home and taken what is priceless, positive, precious, powerful, prominent, and private. The enemy has taken his baby boy captive, and life for this daddy is all messed up. And I don't know how long it's been this way, but I, I bet from just reading into the text that this family has been in this situation a while now. And I believe that this father and mother are at the end of their rope. There are three things I think we can learn from this text today, and I'm going to need you to help me walk around in it and unpack it. Let's look at the father's problem, the father's plea, and the father's protection. In verse 38, if you'll keep your eyes on the text, the Bible says that it was suddenly that a man from the multitude cried out, saying to Jesus, Teacher or Rabbi, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, oh, my boy is crying. And then it convulses him, and he's foaming at the mouth. And then it departs from him with great difficulty and is bruising him. Remember on last week when I was preaching, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God had showed a great miracle there on that mountain with the three disciples. Well, when they came down the mountain, there was this crowd waiting on them. And in this crowd was this father who had a son that he couldn't protect, he couldn't care for, and he couldn't fix what was wrong with him. And when we see this crowd, the first thing we see in the verse is that the father comes to Jesus with this problem. And guess what, RCC? His problem is a spiritual one. You see, he's got a severe case that can't be explained by earthly medical diagnosis. This problem is supernatural. The underworld has picked them out to pick on them. The second thing I see in this verse is that the father gives Jesus the symptoms of his boy's problems. He says, it's an evil spirit, and it seized my baby. And it's convulsing him. My son is crying out. He's foaming at the mouth. And this thing, this demon is bruising him. RCC, I want to suggest to us as readers of scripture today that this father was in a hostile, demonic, unholy situation. And no doubt, the devil was tearing this home up. 
here it is. When I look at this text today, this is a classic picture of some homes you and I know about. Somebody you and I know right now has a baby, a son or a daughter that's controlled by the underworld. Think real hard with me. Somebody you and I know and love this morning, their baby is in great pain. Somebody's baby that you and I know have been picked out by the underworld to be picked on and their behavior is influenced by the satanic. Their mind is under the oppression of the satanic. Their behavior cannot be controlled because it's being uh, 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 usurped by the satanic and they are in need of a savior. Here's what I discovered in this text, my beloved. Satan hates humanity. Can I tell you why? Because we were made in the image of God. And ever since the beginning of time, he has launched attacks on the family. Don't take my word for it. Go back in your biblical history and look at what happened with the first family. Adam and Eve, the very first thing that happens on the faces of Scripture in Genesis is the evil one shows up and he gets a husband and wife to disobey God. And once he gets them to disobey God, guess what he does next? Goes after the children. And he gets one son, Cain, to kill his little brother, Abel. Coincidence? I think not. Biblical truth to show a pattern of how the evil one still works in our lives today. I want to suggest to you, family, that this father in this text probably has some problems in life, but I bet you he never had one like this. In fact, I want to argue that any man, anywhere, in any condition, having to watch their child go through this would be mentally scarred, would be physically depressed, psychologically weary, and in need of salvation. This type of problem will cause a man to cry. Come on, men, I know we don't cry. At least we don't do it in public. But I bet you a situation like this will make the strongest, baddest, meanest, tallest, dark, handsome, good-looking man cry. Why? He needs a savior. See, there's some things that money and education can't fix. I'm off my script. I feel like preaching now. There's some things your muscles can't fix. There's some things your connections or hookups in the community or your family name can't fix. And supernatural, demonic influence and influence of the underworld is one of them. You need someone who's bigger than the evil one to handle supernatural problems. Can I get a witness right there? Well, we've walked around in the text and we've looked at the father's problem. Come here now. Let me show you the father's plea. In verse 40, hear the words of the dad. Jesus, I implore you, or I beg your disciples to cast it out. But 
They could not. Now remember, Jesus was up on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, right? But the other nine were down the mountain waiting for him to come doing ministry in his absence. Jesus shows back. And when you come here, the first thing we see in this father's plea, cry, he wants what's best for his child. Look at this dad. And so he comes to those who should have the answer to help him, but they can't. Something else stands out to me. The disciples had this wonderful privilege to minister for Christ in his absence. But they couldn't get it done. The disciples, Brother Norman, had an opportunity to be like the master, the one they followed. But they fell short. The disciples were even expected to do what the teacher had been doing. But they let the community down. The father goes so far to tell Jesus, I brought my boy to them because I thought they had the same reputation you had, but they let us down. You see, earlier in Luke chapter 9, the disciples had experienced victory with casting out devils. Jesus had sent them out. Don't take my word for it. Do the homework. They went out and got victory over casting out devils and helping families. But this time, they couldn't handle this particular type of demon. Here's what I believe happened. Family, I believe they had power, but they were inexperienced in using it. Can I get a witness? Uh, they had what I call was ineffective ministry methods. I'm hunting for an amen this morning. Come on, help me, somebody. They, they had an ineffective plan of attack. Maybe that's not a good word. Their strategy for evangelism was weak when it came to this kind of devil. They were using all methods early chapter 9 methods that wasn't working on this later chapter 9 devil. I'm going somewhere. I can't help but notice some earthly similarities. The disciples of yesterday and the disciples of today. Have you noticed that just like the disciples back then, People still come to Christ's disciples today asking for help in demonic situations. They still come asking you, church, can you pray for my baby who's got a drug problem? Church, can you pray for my baby who's selling her body in the community? Church, can you pray for my baby who is suffering under this mental stress and they're suicidal. Church, can you pray for my baby? But it seems like, just like the disciples of yesterday, 
the disciples of today appear not to have the answer. In fact, many times, they are very ineffective, leaving non-believers in a dangerous position. Parable was told of this man who was walking down the street. And know the he didn't see a gigantic manhole in his path. He slipped and fell 20-something feet down into this manhole. And as he was there in the hole, he began to cry out for help. And the first person that happened upon the scene was a doctor. He had his white coat on, and with his white coat, the man cries out, Doctor, doctor, can you help me? And the doctor looked at the man in his situation and quickly thought to himself, wrote out a prescription and dropped it in the hole. Secondly, another fellow came up, and this one was a priest. He had his collar on, and the man in the hole, a Joshi cried out, Father, can you help me? And the father looked and quickly wrote down a prayer and dropped it in the hole. Third guy came up with just a normal guy, but he knew the guy. He said, Joe, is that you? He said, yeah. Well, what? Joe, can you help me? Can you get down here? Joe said, yeah, I can help you, and jumped in the hole. And the man in the hole said, Joe, that was stupid. Why did you jump in the hole? Joe said, Joe said I came down because I've been here before, and I know the way out. Why did I tell that parable? Sometimes, beloved, people you and I know are just like that. They're crying for people to help them, but the church shows up with old, ancient, ineffective methods. And what they need is a new Joe. Somebody who will get in the situation with them. Somebody who's been there, who's done that, and who knows the way out. Can I give you good news? Jesus is that common joke. He's willing to get in that hall with any man, any woman, any boy, or any girl from any tribe. Get down with them and then show them the way out. Not just tell them how to get out. I lost my amens right there. We're good for giving advice because we've got, like me, five theological degrees. I can explain the reason for the whole, how you got there, the circumference of the hall, and all that. But what they need is, Angelus, will you get in the hall with me? Don't give me the theology about my hall. I know how I got here. Help me get out. You know what the world needs? A church that'll help them get out. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of Christian do you want to be? What kind of disciple is God calling you to be? We've looked at the man's problem, the man's plea. Let me show you now the father, the man's protection. The Bible says in verse 41 that after he cried to Jesus, Jesus answered, And he said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, 
How long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was coming with the boy, Christina, the Bible says that the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the demon, that unclean spirit. That's the kind he was, an unclean spirit. And he healed the child. And then he gave him back to his father. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for your prayers for this text. As we get ready to land the plane, the first thing I notice in this verse is that Jesus, he issues protection for the father and the boy through a divine rebuke and a call. Let me argue my text. He first of all rebukes the disciples for not believing that they could handle the situation. Y'all catch it? Then, in this rebuke, what he does is protect the disciples from dwelling in that place of unbelief too long. Did you catch that? Sometimes his rebuke is to get you out of the place of unbelief so that you can begin to live to the level and the standard that he has called you to live at as a believer. You need a good rebuke every now and then because it shakes you and causes you to live up to the standard that he has called you to be as a man of God, as a woman of God. Here it is. Let me bring that text down. As the parent he has designed you to be. I got one that's good right there. I'm hunting for another amen. Amen. Secondly, Jesus issues a call. Watch this now. Bring the boy to me. (laughs) Oh, God, I ran around with that all week. That's powerful. Why? In this call, he's going to protect the boy and his father from any more attacks from this unclean spirit that was wrecking his home, wrecking his faith, and wrecking his baby. In the master's protection, here it is, here it is, uh, Elder Hahn, there is compassion, my brother. Compassion because he loves this family. Here's what I learned. When Jesus said, bring him to me, that's the call of protection. Listen, there's a reason why you bring your babies to Jesus. Not just for religious tradition or for formality. It's because he wants to love them and protect them. You know, in the Wilson house, my boys didn't have an option if they was coming to church. You was going to come kicking or screaming, but you was coming. Why? 
God wants to protect him because there will be days when daddy's not there, when mama's not there, but Jesus will always be there. Bring him to me. Not to your special programs, not to your special events, not to anything cool you may be doing. Bring him to me in the morning when they get up. Bring him to me. When I'm texting in the day, bring him to me. At night, bring him to me. Keep bringing him, keep bringing him, keep bringing him. I know they're young, I know they're teenagers, I know they don't like it, but keep bringing them, keep bringing them, keep bringing them. Some parents said, he brought them. Why? Because Jesus desires to protect them. I don't need to tell you, but in our world today, you need the protection of God. There's a lot of different demons out here. Come on, talk to me, y'all. And they are actively trying to get our babies. Now, secondly, I don't want to read over this too fast, but as he was bringing the boy to Jesus, the text says that the demon took one last time to try to destroy him. Did you guys see that? He threw him down, caused him to convulse, to foam at the mouth. What does this do? Well, Deacon Sherman, it it gives us a look at the diabolical behavior of the evil one when it's time to bring your baby to Jesus. He's going to do everything he can to try to keep you and keep your son or your daughter from coming and falling in love with Jesus. He throws this baby down in an attempt to hurt him. One more time. This, this picture reminds me of just how much the demonics hate our children. Let me show you how I know. And if I'm wrong, I'll come back next week and tell you I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. The, de- the devil hates our children so bad, they are attacked in the womb before they ever even get out. He hates our children so much, he comes after them in preschool, elementary school, middle school, junior high, high school, college. Is it a relentless assault to take your children out? The devil, he hates our children so much, Sister Wilson. Children are faced every day with abduction. Am I right? Abortion. Am I right? I can't get no help in here today. They're faced with molest, am I right? They're faced with rape, am I right? They're faced with child abuse, am I right? Okay, I'll keep preaching to this side. Talk back to me. Say something. They're faced with kidnapping, am I right? Sexual temptations, am I right? Random acts of violence, am I right? And just plain old wicked activity. You don't even know if you're going to the mall and you're safe. What's happening? Satanic assaults on the lives of our children. This world is falling and there's a wicked one who's at work to destroy the lives of our babies. But I thank God today. I said I thank God today. I thank God for Jesus. Why? He's still the answer and the hope and the help 
for every family in this planet. Thirdly, the text says this, and when Jesus saw what the devil did, he rebuked. You see that there? That unclean spirit. And he healed, yes, that child. And he gave him back to his father. I wish I had a praying church this morning. Look, here's what I learned. Jesus and his divine authority said this. Devil, leave that boy alone. Take your hands off of this child. Release your possession on his life. Look, family, what I like the most about this verse is that it shows us the supreme power that Jesus has over the wicked one. Church, I, I think, I think I, I got weighing some pastoral leverage here. I'm concerned about our theology today. I think we've got the devil and Jesus on the same level. But I need you to know the devil is not on the same level with Jesus. The devil is a created being who takes his orders from the supreme being. Jesus is the creator of Satan so he can command him to behave. I need you to raise your Christology and start looking at Jesus like the most high God. He's got power that the enemy must bow down to. Oh, that felt real good right there. Can I say some more? He's got so much power, he can protect you from the evil one. Sister Lydia, I love me some Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I just say the name and I get excited. Oh, shoot, I'm out here now. I'm going all the way in. When Jesus speaks, the underworld must respond. Uh, when Jesus speaks, he can break the strongholds that the enemy has had. Break the strongholds that the enemy has over any situation in life. Can I get a witness? When Jesus speaks, the enemy has to behave. When Jesus speaks, wrongs are made right. Injustice is corrected by justice. When Jesus speaks, bad situations are made good. When Jesus speaks, everything has a way of working out all right. Uh, lastly in this passage, what we see in the verse is divine restoration, reconciliation, and revelation. And I'm through. What do you see that, pastor? Right here. Jesus gave the boy back to his father, okay? He restored his relationship back with the father. He reconciled the fellowship between the father and the son. And then he revealed his deity to this family. And here's what I learned. The restoration of families is the business of God, and it ought to be the enterprise of the church. 
Can I get a witness right there? Jesus is into fixing broken families. He's in the household salvation. And he's into recovering that which has been lost. Why? He's God. And nothing is too hard for him. So it's true, family. I said it's true, family. He's a protector of mankind from the enemy of our souls. I was through preparing my sermon here, brothers and sisters, and I was leaning back in my chair in my office at home. And I ran across the story of this protective bird. The bird was nesting in Yellowstone Park when a horrific fire swept through the acreage of that beautiful landscape. And when the rangers finally got the fire under control, one stumbled across a burnt out tree stump. And there in the tree stump was a, a nest that was burnt to a crisp. And when he knocked the nest over with his ranger stick, there was a mama bird who was crouched in a position covering something. She was protecting something. And when he knocked over the dead bird, out flew three baby birds. You see, the mother bird, yes, in the midst of the horrific attack, found it within her heart to protect her babies. And that's all I'm trying to say. Jesus, yes, is just like that mama bird. He's willing to cover you in the midst of the hellish flames that come to take you out. But unlike the mother bird, he has power to withstand anything that the enemy may bring your way. Y'all know how I land the plane? I got to take you to Calvary. You see, out on that old rugged cross, you know what you see? Jesus, the protector, covering your sins, covering your faults, covering your transgressions. Out on the old rugged cross, didn't he die for you? Wasn't he the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Didn't he give his life that yours may be spared? I know where the creature or the bird got it from. She got it from her creator. Even creation knows how to protect its own. Jesus dies. He's buried. And he rises again from the dead with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. Well, why did I preach this sermon? Well, number one, Jesus can fix any problem that you may have. I'm hunting for an amen right there. Number two, Jesus will answer any plea. Any cry for help that you may have. And number three, he will protect you from any situation that comes to take you away from your personal intimate relationship with him. I'm through preaching, but I wonder where you're at today. I wonder if you're here. And you may be a Christian. You say, Pastor, man, I'm in a situation. I'm in a problem, and I can't fix it. And I've cried. Maybe I came to the church and they couldn't help me. I need for Jesus to fix him, fix my problem. I want to pray with you and challenge you to call out to him today. Secondly, you may be here and you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. 
I'm just here today because I'm searching, and I'm in a problem. And I want to tell you, I'm so glad you're here. And the Bible says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you cry out today, Jesus will save you. He will protect you. He will cover you. And then thirdly, as a church, I want to challenge us. Let's take our problems to the Lord. Let's cry out to him. He will hear our plea, and he will protect us and save us from the work of the evil one. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we come this morning as a community crying to you with our problems. Hear our cry today. There's some parent here, Lord, who has a child in an an unbearable situation and they don't know what to do. They're crying. Hear their prayer. There's someone here today who doesn't know you and they're crying out for salvation from this world. Hear their prayer, God. And for our church, who needs answers for the problems that perplex us, we cry out, Lord, in our fatigue, in our weariness. Lord, a cry of Hosanna, save now, save now. We need you, Jesus. For the one who is here and doesn't know Jesus, The answer to your cry is this. Dear Lord, come into my heart and save me. I believe you are the Christ. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and give me everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you're willing to pray that prayer, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Thank you, Lord, for this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.